0: First scripture reading, I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, to John chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 to 17. (coughs) John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. He may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. We pray that God will bless to us this reading from his word. We come to read from God's Word again, turning now to the Old Testament. I ask you to turn with me to Isaiah. Prophecy of Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to read. Uh, All of the chapter, it's quite a long chapter, but I want to to read. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. And planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard? That I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath. And a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord, or see the work of his hands, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humble and each one is brought low. And the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. Who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. Who put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for nations afar off. And whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary. None stumbles. None slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose. Not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened, By its clouds. Amen. We pray that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. When something in public life goes seriously wrong, there will often be an investigation or a public inquiry which tries to ascertain what exactly went wrong and whose fault it was. You have an example of such an inquiry ongoing at the moment in relation to the post office scandal and how it prosecuted sub-postmasters because of the faulty Horizon IT system. And many were falsely accused and suffered greatly. And so there's an inquiry going on into all of that. And usually such an inquiry finds that if certain things had been done differently, then the bad outcome outcome could have been avoided. If Fujitsu and the post office had owned up much earlier to the fact that there were flaws in the system, they perhaps would not have pursued Uh, uh, In the courts, uh, so many postmasters and had them falsely accused. And in our own lives, when things go wrong, we can often look back and see with the benefit of hindsight how if we had done something differently, things would have turned out better. I'm sure you've had that experience. Something's happened and it's not been great. And you look back and you say, if only I'd done that. But sometimes, sometimes we may look back and say, well, what more could I have done? What What could I have done differently to result in a better outcome? And you might say, I don't think there's anything more that I could have done. Or anything that I could have done differently that would have made any real difference. Now of course other people might be very quick to tell you that there was something different you could have done. But you might have decided no. Well in Isaiah chapter 5, there's an investigation going on. There has been something of a disaster The people of God have not been bearing fruit in keeping with their status. And God asks the question, is it my fault? It's set before us here in terms of the Lord's vineyard. In verse 7 we read that the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And the chapter begins with Isaiah singing a song to his well-beloved about his vineyard. He is singing to God about his vineyard, that is, about the house of Israel. And he speaks of all that God has done for his vineyard. And then he comes to the sad fact that when God looked for fruit from his vineyard, he didn't find any good fruit, just wild grapes. Or more accurately stinking grapes. Bad grapes. And so in verse 3. God calls the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah. To make their assessment. As to whose fault it was. That the vineyard did not produce good fruit. And in verse 4 he asks. What more could I have done for my vineyard? And what is the response from the men of Judah? Do they have a whole list of things that they think God should have done. That would have ensured a good crop. Well no they have no answer. They have nothing to say. What more could I have done? Nothing. The failure is not on God's side. And so the chapter goes on to detail The bad fruit that God found in his vineyard. And the judgment that he will bring upon it. Now as we look at this in a little more detail. I want to put my headings in terms of an exhortation or a command. So that if you remember nothing else from the sermon. If you take these commands with you. Well this is what God wants you to do in response to his word this morning. And so the first exhortation is this. Consider your privileges. Consider your privileges. Or consider the blessings that you have enjoyed and continue to enjoy. I think that's what God wants us to do when we read here about all that he had done for his vineyard, Israel. Consider all that we're told God had done for his vineyard in verses 1 and 2. First of all, he has planted the vineyard on a very fertile hill, or a fruitful hill. It's not planted in some barren desert or wasteland. No, this is a fertile hillside, which is ideal for the vineyard. So he has chosen a good place for his vineyard. And he has set it apart and fenced it off. And he has done the back-breaking work of digging the ground, removing from the topsoil the larger stones which he has carried away. And perhaps it was those very stones that were used to build a watchtower where he could live permanently in the summer to guard against thieves and marauders. And when he had the ground suitably prepared, he had planted it with the choicest vines. In other words, it wasn't some a cheap garden center own brand of vine he had planted it was the top named variety and in expectation of an abundant harvest of grapes he had dug a wine press a permanent storage facility for all the wine that he fully expects to be produced from the grape harvest and all these details make this one point loud and clear what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it. Nothing. I've done everything I could possibly do to seek to produce a good harvest. God says, I have not held back in my care and devotion to this vineyard. I've done all that could possibly be done to encourage a good harvest of grapes. And so God says, judge between me and my vineyard. Which party is to blame for the vineyard's lack of fruitfulness? Where does the fault lie? Did God miss something? No. Verses 1 and 2 make it abundantly clear that he had done everything that could possibly be done. But what is it that we are really talking about here? Well, remember verse 7 tells us, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He's talking about people, not plants. God is saying that he has assured his people with every advantage and blessing. We have reference to it in Psalm 80, how God brought his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And they experienced miracle after miracle as God cared for them and brought them into the land he had promised and planted them there. And that was a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a fertile land. We're told in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10 that it was a land with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees. Trees that you did not plant. That was the land God gave them. A fruitful, fertile hill where he's planting his people. And remember that God called Israel his son, his his firstborn. Exodus 4.23, he said to Pharaoh, let my son go. Israel is my firstborn son. And if you don't release my firstborn son, I'm going to take your firstborn son. So what privilege uh, was extended to Israel. What grace Israel enjoyed. God cleared the land. Just as the owner of the vineyard clears the ground of stone. So God comes in and clears the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Hittites. All the thorns and the briars of the people who were living in the land. Those wicked people, God took them out of the way. He enabled his people to defeat them. He does all this for Israel and he gives to his people his law. No other nation was so blessed with so much grace and privilege and advantage. Let me read some verses from Deuteronomy 4 which again emphasize the the blessings and privileges God had bestowed on his people. The very things that Isaiah is singing about here. Deuteronomy 4 at verse 32, You ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard it and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war? All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. It goes on, just speaking of how God has, has shown his great love for his people. And these opening verses of uh, the Song of the Vineyard are meant to impress upon the people of Israel how God has poured out blessing after blessing upon them. He's done so much for them. He's been so gracious to them. And today God wants you to think about how gracious and generous He has been towards you. And he has been, hasn't he? Every one of you, from the oldest to the youngest, has been wonderfully blessed by God. You enjoy great privileges. The very fact that you are here in this meeting house today where people have come together to worship the living and true God, well, that speaks of privilege and blessing that you enjoy. Countless men and women and young people in our country today have no thought of going to any place of worship today. They'll not take time to open their Bibles and to read and to pray. Now why are we any different? It's because of God's grace towards us. Some of you have been associated with this congregation for a long time. 30 years, 50 years, maybe more. Do you know what has happened in some churches over the last 30 years? In some cases there has been departure from the truth. God's word has gradually been set to the side. The preaching of God's word has been squeezed out. In favor of new styles of worship and entertainment. There's been compromise with the world. Biblical standards have been ignored. Worst of all the gospel. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Has ceased to be proclaimed in all its fullness. But here in Trinity RP Church. There has been no departure from the truth. No watering down of the gospel. No bringing of the world into the church. What a privilege you enjoy. In being part of the fellowship here. And I'm sure that many of you can actually look back and see. How the good hand of God has, uh, has been upon you. From your earliest days. Perhaps you were brought up in a Christian home. Instructed in the things of God from your earliest days. What an amazing blessing. And let me say a word particularly again to the children here. Do you realize what a wonderful thing it is that you have parents who love you, who have brought you here to church. They want to teach you about God. There are people around you in the congregation who are praying for you. and They want you to know about Jesus Christ And the way of salvation. Not all boys and girls. Have that privilege. More and more. Boys and girls just like you. Are growing up in a situation. Where there's no one to teach them. Right from wrong. There's no one to take them to Sabbath school or to church. No one to read the Bible to them. Tell them stories from God's word. But you're here because God has chosen to bless you in this way. It's a wonderful thing. And of course, there's so many of us here who are no longer children. But we've been privileged. Maybe some of us have come up through our church camps and weekends. We've enjoyed times of fun with other people our age. You've been taught from God's word. Encouraged to walk in the things of God. How wonderful that is. So we should consider our privileges. The blessings that God has showered upon us. Maybe it's that Christian upbringing. Faithful church uh, to attend. And sound teaching to sit under. Think of the privilege you've enjoyed. The men who have. Minister to you in this place. Think of the freedom we have to meet as believers. And we're not afraid that we're going to be found out and carted off to prison. Think of how you've been protected in dangerous situations. Maybe reflect on your own life. How God has been merciful to keep you from sin. Because if you know your own heart, you know you're capable of Of the most awful sin. But God has kept you. He's put a hedge around you. To to keep you. If you think of the blessing. You have. And Christian friends and family. So many good things. That God has brought into your life. And having considered all the good things. That the Lord has given us. We need to ask ourselves. Why? What is the Lord's purpose in giving me these things, these advantages? Well, in the passage before us, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Why does a man choose a fertile piece of ground and dig it and take the stones out and plant the choice vine? Well, he's looking for a good crop of grapes. And God is looking for fruit in your life and in mine. So consider your privileges and then secondly, consider your fruits. What fruit are you bearing? God had taken considerable pains with his people Israel. And we're told in verse 7 the fruit that he was looking for in them. He was looking for judgment or justice and righteousness. But what did he find? Not justice but bloodshed. Not righteousness, but cries of distress. And there's something very interesting here. In the original, the words for justice and bloodshed are very similar. There's just one letter of difference. And at a casual glance, you might think they're the same, but they're not. Derek Kidner suggests a parallel in English might be something like this. He looked for right, but he saw riot. It's the same with the words for righteousness and cries of distress. In the Hebrew, they're very similar. And all of that is suggestive of the fact that in some cases, you might think that the fruit God is looking for is there. But when you look more closely, you discover it's not. I wonder, could that be the case in your life? Could it be that others... Looking at you, think that you're a fine, upstanding Christian. Think that God's word has borne fruit in your life. When in fact you have never actually committed yourself to Christ at all. Could it be that there is more evidence of bad fruit in your life than of good fruit? Let's look at the bad fruit that was found in Israel. And you ask yourself, is this the kind of fruit that I am bearing? Or perhaps you have to say, can can I see even the beginning of that bad fruit in my life? As we look here in Isaiah 5 from verse 8 to 23, we see a series of six woes pronounced upon the people of Judah because of the bad fruit that they were bearing in their lives. We've already seen that God was looking for justice, but he found bloodshed. He was looking for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Now as we work our way through verses 8 to 23, we see six other sins that were evident in Judah. And as we look at them, we need to ask ourselves, does God see this fruit in my life? Is that the kind of bad fruit I'm bearing? First of all, In verse 8, greed or materialism. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Their greed is demonstrated by their desire for more and more property. And it seems they pursued the acquisition of property with no regard for others, and particularly with no concern for the poor. Their great concern was to get for themselves. And yet God's word tells us. That we are only pilgrims on this earth. And to make the accumulation of things here our top priority. Is a denial of that. And yet that is what our society does. It goes after things. Money and the things that money can buy. I wonder is that. The fruit that God finds in your life? Does he see someone who's beginning more and more to go after what this world can offer? Someone who even is beginning to rob God by withholding the tithe from him? Will God pronounce his woe upon those who have set themselves to add house to house and field to field? And he says to those in in those following verses that their great houses will come to nothing. Their vineyards and fields will yield a pitiful return. They'll get no satisfaction out of those material things that they go after. And if you make this the, the priority in your life, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough. There'll always be something more. And there are those who... Can testify that they've won the lottery or something like that. They've come into great. They thought it would be wonderful. Still not satisfied. Something lacking. And if you make the acquisition of these things your top priority. You'll never be satisfied. Greed or material. God condemns it. Second sin verses 11 and 12. Drunkenness. And worldly entertainment. Woe to those who rise early in the morning. To run that they may run after strong drink. Who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Here's a picture of men and women living for pleasure. uh, And an escapism. And it's bang up to date with our society, isn't it? You've maybe come across it even in your workplace among your colleagues or neighbours. They're talking about how they're looking forward to the weekend. But it's not so that they can get to the house of God, but so they can go out and get drunk at some wild party. And the beginning of the week when they're back at work, they, they say it was a wonderful time. They don't remember anything about it, but they had a great time. Now, for all I know, there may be someone here who's given to too much strong drink. But friends, we don't have to be drunkards to indulge in the same pursuit of worldly pleasure. Commenting on this, John Calvin writes, Men were not born to eat and drink and wallow in luxury, but to obey God, to worship him devoutly. To acknowledge his goodness and to endeavour to do what is pleasing in his sight. <coughs> but when they give themselves up to luxury. When they dance and sing and have no other object in view. Than to spend their life in the highest mirth. They are worse than beasts. For they do not consider what end God created them. For For what end God created them. In what manner he governs his world by his providence and to what end all the actions of our life ought to be directed so if you make the pursuit of worldly entertainment just enjoying yourself Calvin says they're worse than beasts then we move on another great sin in verses 18 and 19 unbelief Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. And I think the picture here is of people becoming emboldened in sin, They have sinned a little, and they've got away with it. Nothing bad has happened to them. And so they sin in a bigger way, and still they get away with it. And now they sin openly and flagrantly, and they say to God, you say you're going to come in judgment. Come ahead, do your worst. They just don't believe it. They don't really believe that God will judge. They mistake God's patience and long-suffering for indifference. I wonder could that be someone here today? Advancing in sin. Because up to now you've got away with it. You haven't been caught out and it doesn't seem to be causing any detrimental effect in your life. You're beginning to think it'll never catch you. You'll never have to give account. But of course God sees. He knows. What's going on? And he is the just judge. Friends, do not despise the Lord. He sees what you're doing, and no sin will go unpunished. Then we go on, verse twenty, to what we may call perversity. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The perversion of the sinful heart is that it calls evil good and good evil. Derek Thomas writes, The unbeliever, in attempting to justify his ways, stands reality on its head. In the darkness of his heart, he has convinced himself that his ways are right I wonder, is that you? Are you turning things in their head or beginning to do that? Let me quickly go through the others. Arrogance in verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. I wonder, is that you? You know it all. Don't have to listen to anyone. Then verses 22 and 23. Corruption. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Here we see that the judges of the land are not only men who like their drink but they can be bought. They will accept a bribe and let the wicked go free. And so here's this catalogue of corruption. Derek Thomas sums it up like this. To every woe is attached a judgment. Thus the houses are to be laid waste. The arrogant will be humbled. The drunkards will die of thirst. God's anger will burn against them and he will strike them down. The grave will open uh, wide and receive them. God's hand is stretched out against them. He raises a banner on the hilltop as a sign of the approaching army. God's patience has run out. Assyria will come and destroy them. The picture is awesome. The enemy comes in in power and appears invincible. And we'll see more of that when you work your way through Isaiah. You see more of Assyria coming. And Isaiah sees the bodies lying in heaps in the street. All because, verse 25, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked. Their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger was not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. So I've said consider your privileges. Think of all the ways that God has been at work in your life. To draw you to a knowledge of himself. And to help you to grow in your Christian faith then I challenge you to consider your fruit. And we've seen the bad fruit that was apparent in the lives of the men of Judah. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we can maybe see little bits of that that might begin to creep into our own lives. And we know that even as Christians, we're not bearing the fruit that we should. And maybe there is someone here today. And you know that you're not yet saved. For all that God has done for you, you still have not turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this description of the sins that were found in Judah, well maybe for you it's it's just too close to home. Maybe you are a greedy materialist living for the pleasures of the world, and you foolishly think that it will be all right in the end. What more can I say to you? I would say simply, consider the Savior. Consider the Savior. We read earlier from John 15, our Lord's words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Israel was the vine that disappointed, that did not bear the fruit she should have borne, And we're part of that failure. We do not bear the fruit that we should. But Jesus is the true vine, the good vine. The vine that brings forth good fruit. And it's worth thinking about the sins that we've just looked at. At which were so prevalent in Israel. And note that at each point where Israel failed... The Lord Jesus did not feel. He was not a greedy materialist. Rather, he had virtually nothing of this world's goods. He once said, foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He could not be accused of drunkenness or giving himself over to a hedonistic lifestyle. Never once did he sin or give in to unbelief. He was always upright, called evil, evil, and good, good. He was not arrogant, but humble. And he humbled himself even to death on a cross. So none of that bad fruit that we see in Israel was ever found in the Lord Jesus. And yet the terrible woes that were pronounced here upon Israel, those woes came upon Jesus. He bore the judgment in our place. Now how can any of us bear good fruit in our lives? I don't want any of you leaving here today simply thinking I must try harder. You can try as hard as you like, but without Christ you will achieve nothing. And if you're not yet a Christian, don't you leave thinking that you have got to clean up your life a bit before God will accept you. No, that's not it. No amount of effort on your part is going to enable you to bear fruit to God's glory. You must come to Christ just as you are and ask him to be your savior. You must turn from your sin, from your sin to him. Consider the savior and ask him to be your savior. Ask him to wash you and to make you clean. That is God's desire in granting you the privilege of hearing the gospel. He hasn't sent the gospel to you so that you may be thrown deeper into hell. No, he has sent the gospel so that you can be saved from hell. Don't despise his love. Come to the Lord Jesus And put your trust in Him. And for those of us who are Christians and we're conscious of how wonderfully the Lord has blessed us, and yet we sense we've not been bearing the fruit in keeping with all our privileges, we must consider Christ. We must look to Him for His grace. We must abide in Him. We must obey His commands. We must love one another. Remember his own words. If a man remains in me and I in him. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Let us abide in our Savior. Consider him. Amen. Let's uh, stand as we join in prayer. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we sense the challenge from your word today. We indeed have been wonderfully blessed in so many ways. We have known wonderful material and physical blessings, and yet those uh, fade into insignificance in comparison to the great blessing of being taught from your word, of being shown the Savior and seeing him in all his glory, having those around us to encourage us and help us to walk in the ways of God. Father, we, we thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. We ask that you would forgive us for not bearing fruit as we ought to, And Lord, we pray for any in our midst today who have not yet turned from their sin to trust in Christ. And we pray that they might now do that by your grace. Give them new life in Christ, we pray. And then for each of us, Lord, help us to daily abide in Christ because we know that that's the only way that we may bear fruit to your glory as we stay close to our Savior and look to him. So bless your word to us, we pray. We ask it in our Saviour's name and for his glory. Amen.